All right, so I am Noel, for those of you who don't know me. I am speaking today about simplicity. So we're going through various different spiritual disciplines. We started looking at prayer, at fasting, at study, and today we are talking about simplicity. So the idea of simplicity, I think it's something that has become a little bit more um, chic in terms of conversations and things. And I think there's a lot of ideas of, well, how on earth is simplicity a spiritual discipline? Uh, and even this idea that you can point to, okay, well, did you pray yes or no? Did you fast yes or no? Did you study yes or no? Did you, s- simplicity? Did you live a life of simplicity? Like, how do you even frame that? How do you even phrase that? So we're going to look at that. But before we do that, I've got a, a little bit of a poll here. How many people have at least five emails in your inbox, your personal, your work, your school, everything combined, at least five emails that you need to attend to at some point? Okay, how many people have at least 10? Put up your hand. Okay, at least 20? At least 50? At least 100? Nobody was over 100? Yeah, okay. I say, does anybody have more than like 200 emails they need to deal with at some point? Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, there you go. I know somebody's in there. Okay, text messages. How many people have received a text message today? How many people have received a text message in like the past five hours? How many people have gotten a text message in the past hour? How many people have gotten a message while you're sitting here at church? How many people have replied to a message while you're sitting here at church? (laughs) I saw you. I saw you. (laughs) Um, Taxes. How many people have yet to fill out their tax return? How many people feel a little stressed out that they have yet to fill out their tax return? How many people get more stressed out when they see this guy telling them that there's billions, America, billions, in this, like, I don't even know what sort of accent he has. It's like he lived in North Ireland and Jersey or something. Um, But it it, kind of stresses me out. I haven't done my taxes yet, and it kind of stresses me out. How about for life? Um, Are there times in the past, let's say, like, two weeks where you've, kind of gotten stressed about life, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's school, whether it's moments of like, what on earth am I doing with my life? Have have you had those moments? Okay, yeah. I, I think there is, there's no doubt that there's lots of complexity in our lives. So 147, that's the average number of emails received per user per day. Um, for some of you at SU, it's probably more than that, probably feels like. 493, that's the average number of text messages sent or received per month for users over the age of 55. (laughs) For average number of text messages sent or received per month for users ages 18 to 24, 3,853. If you're under that, that's not like your target you're trying to shoot for. This is just the average. 53% of people say, of, of adults say that personal health uh, recognize that personal health problems stem from a source of stress. 56 of people say that they are excellent or very good of knowing when they are feeling stressed. 26% of people said they are excellent or very good at preventing themselves from being stressed. So we're, the majority of people would say that they can recognize when they're stressed, but only about a quarter of people actually know what to do with it. of people believe that stress can contribute to the development of major illnesses such as heart disease, depression, and obesity, and even trigger heart attacks, arrhythmias, and even sudden death. Our lives are complex. 
Like, I don't, I don't need to paint a broader picture between the ideas of all the things we need to do or all the things we feel like we should be or we should be working towards or we should be striving towards. Our lives are complex. And there is this, there's this perpetual momentum that we feel like, oh, we have to do this in order to be good enough, in order to work up to a certain point that we have to keep striving. And in a lot of ways, these things are, many of them are very good, but can be very harmful to our lives if we continue this per- significant cycle of striving. So enter Bia Johnson. She's the author of Zero, Zero Waste Home, The Ultimate Guide to Simplifying Your Life by Reducing Your Waste. She will make your kitchen look like that. Everyone just take a deep breath with me. Doesn't that feel so simple and wonderful? We've got magazines like Real Simple, Life Made Easier. I would be lying if I didn't say I enjoy perusing Real Simple every once in a while. Um, I don't have a subscription or anything. I just like if somebody has it. Entertaining made easy, staying young at any age. I didn't read that one. But <laughs> there's lots of different ideas of these are the things that you can do to make your life more simple. But if we're not careful, we enter into this cycle where we're saying, okay, well, my life isn't complex, so my life is so simple. Look at how simple my life. And we can start to stress over, am I, is my life simple enough? Am I doing all these things to make my life simple? Even having this aspect of pride of, wow, look how awesome I am because my life is simple, unlike you, loser. Because you're, then you can be judgmental of the people because you are so simple in your life. And, oh, but these complex people, are, don't, they've got it wrong. I've got it right because I'm simple. And it's almost the same disease, but with different symptoms. And in in either side of the equation, it's about us and what we're doing and our striving. And it comes to a point where we just can't keep it up and you can't maintain it. So, So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, pretty much everything. Because in, in the passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 6, it's, it's really talking about our identity and our value and our meaning and our purpose and what are the things that give us value. Is it our work? Is it our stress? Is it our simplicity? And there's great aspects to these things. Like we're not saying, oh, I'm never going to reply to another email ever again. But if those are the things that are defining us and giving us our meaning and our value, we're, we're really going to come up short. So looking again at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question Jesus is really posing is, what is ruling your life? He uses three analogies, right? He looks at treasures, He looks at the light in our life and he looks at serving masters. He breaks it down three ways and he's basically saying, what is ruling your life? A lot of times we use this passage to talk about treasure and Jesus says, oh, well, he's talking about money. Really, he's looking at what's ruling your life and money can definitely be one of those things, but there's lots of other things that can be, be dominant in our lives. I am from the fine city of Toronto, Canada, 
used to be a Toronto Blue Jays fan. I'm still kind of a Blue Jays fan. Toronto Blue Jays are in the American League East. There's a couple other teams there. Maybe you know the Baltimore Orioles. The, and then there's this two teams that maybe you've heard of, Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. And as a Toronto fan, I'm like, ah, oh, the Red Sox, whatever, sure, they're all right, okay. And yeah, the Yankees, they're, they're okay, sure, sure, sure. But you can't be a Yankees fan and like the Red Sox. Because a Yankees, to be a Yankees fan means you really have to dislike the Red Sox. And to be a Red Sox fan means you have to hate the Yankees. You cannot be a Red Sox fan and kind of have fond feeling for the Yankees. You can't be a Red Sox fan and think, oh yeah, I love the Red Sox. And oh, I'm kind of okay with, They're, this is a rivalry. Um, this is, for other sports fans, this is uh, Michigan and Ohio State in college football. This is Duke and UNC in college basketball. Broadening our borders a little bit, this is Barcelona and the evil forces of Cristiano Ronaldo and Real Madrid <laughs> um, in Spanish Premier, or, uh, Sp La Liga in Spanish football. That there, you can't, you can't love one of these things and kind of be a fan of the other things. You can't be fully committed to your husband and wife and kind of have a thing for somebody else. Like that would not fly for a second. And we, we recognize that and we see that. And so Jesus is saying, you can't be fully committed to God and kind of committed to these other things. You can't love God fully and kind of, kind of be really like trying to define yourself by work and stress and things. And this is really good news because the, the opportunity that we have in knowing God, this is, this is freedom. And this is really talking about a simplicity of heart. So when we're talking about simplicity, it's great to talk about, there's, there's lots of practical things that we can do to live simply, and we'll, we'll talk about a few of those things. But the starting point is, is the simplicity of heart, because if we're not doing this, like if we're, our hearts aren't in the right, right place, then we're just creating this other law and this other set of rules to, feel, to try and fill a void in our life. Uh, Richard Foster in Celebration of Disciplines, he, it really just kind of boils this down to this idea of holy obedience to God. And that's really at the core of simplicity. Tim Keller in the book Tim Counterfeit God says, what is it that occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop potential scenarios about career advancement or material goods such as a dream home or relationship with a particular person? One or two daydreams do not indicate idolatry. Ask rather, what do you habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? He also sorts of frames it that my life only has meaning if and I only have worth if. What are the sorts of things that give our life meaning, that give our lives worth? I work in the field of education. I work at wonderful Salisbury University. I am a firm believer in the opportunities, the development, the growth that come from the field of education. I think there are great things that happen when people are thinking and wrestling with ideas. I also think sometimes within the field of education, we can get very caught up in credentials. And we get very caught up in this idea of how many letters can you throw after your name. I've got a master's degree that allows me to do my job. It's great, I'm glad for that sort of experience. Working at the university, I can take classes for basically free. And I realize, well, I can get a, an MBA for basically free. And I feel like an MBA is just a sexy degree. Am I, am I allowed to say sexy? I don't know. My mom's going to listen to this and be disappointed. But, 
But it's, it opens so many different doors. It would be great for me if I want to work in administration. It would provide credibility in different fields if I want to work internationally. Like I can make an, an argument for why there's a lot of different opportunities for why this would be a good thing. But really at the end of the day, do I really just want this degree for people to think, oh wow, Noel's kind of a cool guy because he's got that degree. And, and is Noel, is it really just about me and my pride? And that's a scary thing to share because I feel like, oh, shoot, now it means I can't go get it. And maybe at some point, it, my reasoning and my thinking will change. But if it's, oh, hey, I get this degree and then all of a sudden I feel better about myself and maybe I feel like, oh, well, I'm a little bit better than other people and maybe I feel a little bit more reliant by, on my own and that hurts my relationship with God. It, Jesus talks about what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Like, what good is it if you get one more degree and then, okay, well, you need another one and then you need another one. And are you losing something far greater in the process of gaining something else? I love, love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 to 11. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He basically just runs down this rap sheet of like, I had this, I had this, I had this, I had this, I had this. He had every credential that made him noble and worthy. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could contain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I think the, the translators of this were maybe a little bit more gracious than Paul would have been in that, that idea of cons counting it all as garbage. I think most people would recognize he probably used a lot more colorful language than that, that we maybe some terms we wouldn't use in a church setting usually. But he's saying that for the sake of knowing Christ, he's considered everything else as, as garbage. That compared to knowing Christ, not that these things are garbage, but compared to knowing Christ, these things in our lives that give us value are, are comparatively garbage compared to knowing Christ as our Lord. And I want to just press pause for a second. And like, I don't know if we always realize, like, I think sometimes I go through my life and I'm feeling good and whichever, but I realize we know the ruler of the universe and we're his children. We are the beloved children of the father and ruler and creator of the universe. We know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's an incredible gift. And that's an incredible opportunity that we have that can shape everything. In Matthew 11, Jesus says in certain verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it was interesting, and I had somebody point out that he's not saying his yoke is nothing. He's not saying his burden is nothing. There, there is a yoke, there is a burden, there is a challenge there, but it's, but it's light. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but the opportunity to say, you know what, these things don't define me. These stresses, these complexities of life don't define me. I'm, I'm a child of the king. That's 
that's a, a burden that you have to carry. That's a burden to say, no, I'm, I'm going to say no to certain things. I'm going to step away from certain things. I'm going to not be trying to find my value in certain things. That's a, that's a burden, and that's hard, but it's freeing. I've discovered backpacking in the past maybe like five years or so, and I've had some wonderful friends who've been able to kind of take me out and tell you, okay, well, this is what you want to put in your pack, and you don't want to do this, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and I love getting outside, and I love being, um, stretching myself in different ways, and at the end of a day, if you've hiked 15 miles, and you've got a 30, 40-pound pack, like, you are sore, and you are tired, and that thing is heavy. And you can put that down, and then if you have to go and get like a couple of water bottles and go to a water source and get some water, like you're carrying the water. It's still, it's a bit of a burden to go do that. But compared to the burden of carrying a 30, 40 pound pack all day, it feels light and it's freeing. And you get water and it's like, that's great. And this, it's comparatively like night and day. And it's, it's that for me, that, that sort of analogy works, that holding onto this burden and letting it go, it's, it's a challenge to let go of those sorts of things. But it's freeing and it's freedom. So continuing on with Matthew chapter 6, in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly, fathers know, heavenly father knows that you need them. So Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And in some ways I've found certain settings where people who have to worry about Mm, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear the next day, in many ways are much more reliant on God. And in many ways, I'm kind of envious of that reliance that they have on God. That often, I don't worry about tomorrow, I worry about five days from now, or ten days from now, or a week from now, or two months from now, or two years from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now, or twenty years from now. Those are the things that I find myself worrying about. And I think in many ways, those are the common worries that are found within our culture in terms of this, who are you going to be? What are you going to do? Those are the sorts of things. And, and it's interesting to see struggles within our cultural dynamics and what those look like and how those permeate to us as, as Christians. I had the chance to spend a couple of weeks in the Dominican Republic. And when I was there, I was a community that were mostly folks from Haiti. And it was interesting because pretty much everybody in that community identified as a Christian and they would go to church and they were, were practicing Christians. And many of them also practiced voodoo. And it was fascinating to me because I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, how on earth can you be a Christian and practice voodoo? That does not work. I had this real interesting conversation with a friend of mine and she said, yeah, but we do it too in North America. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, we incorporate things that are within our culture into our beliefs and our faith. And in many ways, there's these ideas of consumption and always having options and 
um, and different aspects of materialism that are so prevalent within our culture. And we, we kind of buy into that, that, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and that means a nice house in the suburbs and a couple of kids and a golden retriever. And, and that's what we feel like God's will is for our lives. Um, and we buy into this idea of almost like the, the American dream, that in terms of consumption, like we in this country, we consume more than anybody else, whether it's food, whether it's material goods, whether it's fuel, whether it's like you name it, we consume per capita more than anybody else. And we also have this idea of options where I always have to have options. And whatever you do, you try to maximize as much options. And this idea that, oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. Like, if only I had this, then I would be happy. And you get to that point, and it's like, okay, well, if only I had this, then I, then I would be happy. And we lose a lot of the ability to be content with where God has put us right now and recognizing that we have a lot of opportunities and life is good right now. Um, and it's been interesting because a lot of times when people pursue those options, it's not what they thought it would be. And in fact, more options can actually provide more discontent. That oftentimes people who have more wealth and more opportunities, you'd think, oh, okay, well, you'd be happier. But oftentimes it means there's more discontentment there. It was interesting. I, I was astounded by, there's a, a guy at Harvard who did research based comparing, um, looking at the happiness of people who had won the lottery, right? So you win the lottery. You win thousands, millions, however much. And there's this momentary peak or like a good peak of happiness where you are so happy. But then after about three years, your happiness is about at the same point as before you won the lottery. And the same thing happens in the reverse for people who are amputees, so where there's a momentary and very understandable like drop in happiness. But after about three years, you're at the same point of happiness before the event happens. So both winning the lottery and losing a limb, have, you end up after about three years at the same point in time. And so I think rejecting this idea that, oh, if only I had this sort of thing, then I would be good of realizing, you know what, life is good now. Like Jesus is telling us, don't worry about what to eat and what to wear. I don't have to worry about all these other pieces of what things will look like. And Jesus keeps going in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So it's this really, the simplicity seems to come down to this idea of seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added. And the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard had a fantastic quote that says, what kind of striving is it of which it can be said that it seeks or desires the kingdom of God? Ought I to get a position corresponding to my abilities and powers in order to bring this about? No, you are to first seek the kingdom of God. Ought I then to give all my fortune to the poor? No, you're first to seek the kingdom of God. Does this mean then that in a sense there is nothing for me to do? Quite right. There is, in a sense, nothing. In the very deepest sense, you are to make yourself nothing, to become nothing before God and learn to keep silent. And it is in this silence that you begin to seek what, first, what must first come, the kingdom of God that put aside the ideas, the, the perceptions, the 
projections of what seems right in this sort of setting and ask, God, what is it that will help me to know you more and to help me share you more with the people around me? Some practical suggestions of things that we can be doing. Listening to God. Is there time in our day uh, where we have the chance to actually listen to God? And not just when Ryan was talking, he was talking about praying and how it often seems like I do a lot more talking than listening. Like, are there, is there time in our day, whether it's five minutes or five hours, where we're, we're listening to God and having the opportunity to, to listen and hear where he's taking us? Do we prioritize people? Are there so many things going on in our lives that we get caught up in the events and the actions and the different things that we forget about people? Can we sit down and have a meal together and laugh and not be distracted by phones? I saw one thing on Facebook and it was like you stacked all the phones up and the first person to touch it during a mealtime had to like pick up the bill or like, I don't know, you could do it at home and have it do your dishes or whichever. But just to see it, like you can put your phone in airplane mode and the world is not gonna like self-destruct. Like we can, we can put it aside for a second. Do we have opportunities or ways to sharpen each other? Do our relationships and our lives encourage each other? Can we challenge each other? Can we be asking things of each other of what's going on in our lives and what are things that we can be excited about and praying about? Are there ways when we can reject busyness to put aside the go, 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 go and just say, hey, this is all right to be here and to be present and to have a good conversation and not worry about what happens next and what comes next. Can we take technology sabbaticals and not look at emails and not answer the phone and not reply to text messages or just to take a break? Can we consume less stuff? I found it was really interesting that certain times of like thinking about, okay, well, what are things that you can do to take a break from things? Um, there's been a couple points where I've taken like 21 days or 40 days and just said, I'm not gonna buy anything unless I have to. And it's been really actually kind of freeing that I think, oh, okay, well, I need to get a new pair of running shoes. I'm like, okay, well, I can't during this time because I really don't need a new pair of running shoes. So I'm not gonna sit online and look at in comparison shop or things like that. I'm, I can wait until that time. And it's been really very freeing to put those sorts of things off to the side. Are there ways that we can spend more time serving other people? And maybe those are like specific volunteer things or maybe those are serving our family or serving friends or serving people around us. Are there ways that we can care about the world around us? That Are there things that we can be doing to ask, why do we have so much stuff in this part of the world and what's our response? It was interesting that there was a, a stat that came out a couple weeks ago that the 85 wealthiest people on earth, so I don't even know how many people are here, like maybe 50 people in this room, so a bit bigger than this room, and we, we know the names of some of these people, right? Like Buffett and Gates and the Walmart people and those sorts of folks, that if you got 85, to, 85 of them together in a room, they would have as much wealth as the entire lower half of the world. So 3.5 billion people. What is our response? And it's easy for me to kind of point the finger and say, oh my goodness, those dirty billionaires, I can't believe it. Meanwhile, if you look at numbers, I probably am in the top two or three percent. If you're a college student working a summer job, you're probably in the top like five or ten percent of, of what income earners on earth that we really are incredibly wealthy in this part of the world. And what's our response to that? 
And then the idea of not judging others at different places. In the book, Freedom of Simplicity, Richard Foster wrote, uh, let us seek to live in compassion and patience with one another. Gratitude and latitude should mark our relationships. All too often, we can injure each other unduly in our zeal and for justice and truth and righteousness. The spirit of condemnation can creep into our relationships terribly subtly. We can begin to look at each other's possessions with a mental calculator. But there's a more excellent way. We simply need to be with one another, loving, supporting, and caring. Of course, we live and speak the truth as it has been given to us. But the business of straightening each other out belongs to God, not us. So those are just some ideas of maybe some of those things kind of resonated with you a little bit. Maybe none of them did. Maybe there's other things. The idea, again, is it's not to create this list of rules of do this and do this and do this. But are there practical ways that we can be seeking first the kingdom of God? And are there ways that we can be doing that together? So we're going to do communion as we normally do, but want to just take a few minutes and give people the chance to just pray and to think and to listen to God. It's, it's great to say, okay, do you have time to listen to God? And then just run on to the next thing. But just give you a minute and ask God if there's things that he is directing in you or encouraging you with. And just even resting and knowing that idea that we are the children of the king of the universe.